0: Welcome everyone, one and all. We are nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, things are getting exciting today. Um, Preparing for this sermon has been a lot like having a baby, and I know you ladies are going to think immediately that I have no idea what on earth that is like, but I will say there is one difference There is a lot of anticipation and agony and some pain involved, but at least when you're having a baby, everyone knows where the baby is. I had a tough time figuring out where this message was going until this morning, and they say necessity is the mother of invention, so I will say amen to that. Um, uh, The conclusion is so fresh in my mind that I'm gonna have trouble preaching the rest of the sermon now because I'm so excited about what to me is uh, an earth-shattering revelation. And I'm really not using hyperbole there. Um, I'm not just trying to promote your interest in what we're gonna study. Um, But, uh, you know, years, having spent years as a pastor and now years as a teacher, you know, you you really kind of feel like you're looking for that one thing, I don't know, that magic bullet And once you say it, everyone will stop asking questions (laughs) and your job will be done, right, Doug? We've been in search of that for a long time, I think. And um, I don't know, this might be it. This might be the one thing. Um, It's that big to me, anyway, to me personally. Maybe it's because I was the one doing all the searching, uh, but that's kind of getting ahead of the story. Um, Pray with me one (laughs) one more time. Lord, we thank you for your word and that you do speak, that you speak clearly and freshly and surprise us uh, at every turn with things that you have for our lives today. Uh, Be with this message, Lord, that it will come uh, from heaven and that I will not get in the way. In your name, amen. Amen. Um, Something came across my Facebook feed. Uh, This week, as I was thinking about um, ways to introduce this topic, and I don't know if it relates directly to it, but I thought it was quite provocative, Uh, it is a series of images uh, that the uh, photographer has named Removed. Um, His name is Eric Pickerskill, and I don't know if you saw this or noticed what the title was. You may have noticed a couple of the pictures. Uh, But as we look at these, uh, and I'm just going to let Caleb flip through some of them. As we look at these, I want you to ask. That's very clever, Mark. You, (laughs) yeah, you did remove something there. But I want you to think now. As we look at the actual images, uh, I want you to uh, I want you to uh, ask yourself what has been removed in these pictures. I kind of half wondered if Mark was going to shoot one of just him and his wife in, in his house and surprise me, you know, just <laughs> stage their own picture. These are staged. this is not Photoshop. I came to that conclusion after looking at them for quite a while. So a picture like that's quite impressive. You have to get a lot of people on board. Maybe it is Photoshop, I don't know. You might have amazing skills, but I don't think so. I really like this one. And that's the artist um, next to his wife. This is called Angie and me. So I heard a number of you have an answer right away as soon as uh, we started looking at them. What was removed? No. <laughs> that's what the artist removed. What has been removed from the pictures? The Relationships, that's right. So we took away the obvious explanation for the disintegration of our relationships in order to make the point that that's really... Not what it's all about. The sacrifice is great. The sacrifice is great. So uh, this isn't really about what's missing, but I thought that was an interesting way to uh, introduce uh, what we're going to be talking about. Uh, I do want to go right to our first verse here, which is found in um, uh, first Google um, 20, verse 19. (laughs) Order, and it will be shipped to you. Browse, and you will find. Click, and it shall be opened unto you. Well, that's kind of our modern day version of how to be happy, right? I mean, we're, we spend an awful lot of time looking at those screens. We must be looking for something, right? We must be looking for something. So we'll put the actual verse up there. Uh, it is in Matthew 7, 7. And uh, just read it together, asking, it will be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. Uh, Is it just me or is this verse impossible to read without hearing that scripture song playing in your head? I mean, we could stop and sing it just to kind of get it out of the way. It is the elephant in the room. But in fact, uh, this is one of those verses like John 3.16 where familiarity is actually working against us. Familiarity is actually working against us. I I spent a lot of time thinking about the three mandates. uh, And they are the imperative... Uh, They are really commands, just like the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, And um, it's interesting that all three are just bundled together. And really, from the minute I signed up for this uh, text, I regretted it. No, I'm sorry. From the minute I started, when I signed up for this text, I started thinking to myself. That was it. I started thinking to myself... How do these three illustrations, and really they're object lessons, asking, seeking, knocking, how do those three come together, how do they triangulate to form a picture? Because I don't think Jesus mints his words, I don't think he uses words carelessly. In fact, if we understand the chain of command that he would explain later to the disciples, quite specifically, is that the Father gave him everything he did in ministry. And through the Holy Spirit, uh, that was divinely delivered to his heart and then through the power of the Holy Spirit, he lived that out. Uh, Jesus was not Superman, he was human. So the miraculous aspect of his life and the, the fidelity that he had, the perfect fidelity to his father, was because he was completely surrendered. And we don't like to hear that because it means that Jesus is not only our savior but he's also our example. And we have a life invitation that we can live that way as well. And that seems very impossible to us. Don't ask me to be like Jesus. I like the Rich Mullins song that says, it's hard to be like Jesus. Amen. Um, In fact, he quotes the Sermon on the Mount, um, actually, in that song. And he says, um, you know, we can uh, dress like flowers and eat like birds. You know, that's kind of Jesus' appeal, right? You know, don't worry about everything. Just look at the flowers and the, the you know the fields and the birds, and rich kind of says, well yeah that's that, that's what that's going to get us. So it is kind of uh, confounding to think that what Jesus is asking, and he really has already dropped the mic on this, he said, Be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect and we can dissect that up quite a bit and kind of help it to lose its power and its sting, but really that's what Um, That's what Christ is shooting for here on this Sermon on the Mount. Um, And I'm not here to preach about perfection, because that's one of those words that just immediately, yes, yeah, you feel it, right? It's like, oh my goodness, he's not going to go there. No, I'm not going to go there. Uh, I'm going to share with you the earth-shattering revelation, um, I think, that this sermon is focusing into, the whole the main idea, and I think it—I I was lucky enough to pick the verse where, where it all comes together. Um, so thank you for all of you who have gone before and leading us. I haven't been here for all the messages, so if I share some things today about the Sermon on the Mount, that's already been said. It's just review. Um, why these three? Ask, seek, knock. Um, I think we have a slide with those three words, don't we? Why ask, seek, knock? Why these three? Um, is it just repetition? Is it just Jesus saying, you know, something three times in three different ways? Uh, you know, like a parent kind of, you know, rambling on because they're not sure their child is really listening, and maybe they'll get it if I say it three different ways. Is it, is it that kind of dynamic, or is it, you know, three things that are really kind of interrelated in a very special way? Um, there is actually repetition implied. In the, in the Greek, the... Um, uh, and I didn't know this until, except for a footnote in my uh, New American Standard Bible, which is very concerned about literalness. When they, when they diverge from the literal uh, translation, which they're criticized for, um, because sometimes it can be kind of stilted, they uh, put a footnote uh, to make sure that you know that it could be translated a different way and perhaps a better way. And it's actually, uh, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. It's that kind of active ongoingness in the verb. So Jesus is into repetition, but of course we've already read not vain repetition, right? He wants us to persevere. There's, a, there's an aspect in which we don't do this once, right? We don't ask once. Uh, we don't seek once and then we're done. We don't knock once and then, oh, okay, now the ball's in your court, Jesus. It's a relationship, right? And that's why we started off with those images really to set the tone that this passage is passages about relationship. Uh, It makes sense that Jesus would balance his prohibition on vain repetition with some encouragement for humble persistence. Uh, But I think what's going on here, the reason we have three is that uh, this is a typical Hebrew teaching method, like Proverbs, where uh, you'll hear David say something in one way and then he'll say it in another way, and it's meant to clarify each other. It kind of expands the idea as we go. So we're going to look at these three imperatives. Ask seek and knock. I couldn't come to this passage and not uh, tackle this, although it's interesting where this little piece of scripture goes after it covers this very familiar territory. Um, One thing that I really like when I have to preach is I uh, really start to look around the verses that I'm preaching on and get a sense of what we call the context, that is the place that that particular teaching is sitting, because the, like, uh, like a gem in a, in a, in a ring, it has been placed amidst other preparation. And so where Jesus went before and where he's going after saying these words is all part of the, the divine poetry uh, of, this, of this passage. So we're going to look at ask first. And um, ask has already been counseled in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, probably the best example so far is in the previous chapter where uh, Jesus describes the model prayer, so to speak, the Lord's Prayer, we call it, right? And there's definitely asking going on in there. There's definitely asking in which uh, we're counseled uh, the things that are important to ask for and how to ask and then move on to other things because uh, life is multidimensional and we've got a lot of asking to do when it comes to our relationship uh, with the Father. Uh, But the particular aspect of asking in this verse, uh, Matthew 7, 7, uh, comes just a little bit after as Jesus kind of unravels and explains uh, why he brings up this issue of asking. Uh, In verses 9 through 11, he says, Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? Some verses I think read scorpion. That really turns up the contrast. And here's the point, Jesus says, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So the... uh, The premise on which we are to ask I think is is provided in this little bit of dialogue here. The premise on which we ask is knowing the character of the person we are asking. Right? Because he brings up father and son and he says, well, you know, children are safe asking their parents. Now... (laughs) I have to just, you know, in this day and age, there's a, there's a butt for everything, right? The teachers and pastors of the conference sat through a whole grueling day of how adults mistreat children and what are the signs. And uh, let me tell you, that was not a happy day. It was, it was grueling. We came out of there just like looking around, looking at each other, <laughs> you know. Well, those were the statistics. There must be one of us, <laughs> Um, I mean, it was depressing, it was discouraging that there are adults whose children would ask for bread and they would get a stone. I mean, that's essentially the reality of the day and age that we live in. But Jesus' teaching is not dealing with all the possible exceptions to the rule. He's relying on uh, the clear pattern that a parent is interested in the well-being of their child. And if you should ask for something that is not in the child's best interest, that's not in your best interest, if you as the asker are foolish enough to ask for a snake. By the way, I did ask my wife for a snake once, and she gave it to me. That was for my birthday. It was a python. I don't know why I brought that up. (laughs) But if you should... Ask for something that is not in your best interest. It ate mice in our living room. Maybe it wasn't in our best interest. If you should, though, you can trust that your father will give you something appropriate, right? That's the teaching. The character of the giver supersedes and blankets, provides grace for the, for the, for the uh, action, for the engagement of asking. Right? Should that child walk up to a complete stranger, those rules would not apply, right? So God is Father, and because of those exceptions to the rule, that's hard for some of us, right? But nevertheless, we need to look at the intent of the illustration and understand that if, in your case, Father does not represent the giver of good gifts, then you can interpret this by contrast, right? Though every man be a liar, God is true. So even though there are plenty of bad fathering, there's plenty of bad fathering going on uh, on this planet, there is a good father. Uh, there's actually another place uh, where Jesus makes the, makes, actually takes that exact posture. He makes a comparison by contrast, and it's in the book of Luke. Now Luke, there turns out there's a lot of Uh, parables and verses in Luke, I discovered as I was studying this out, Luke really um, has a a lot to say about this asking and seeking and knocking. Uh, Several parables, Luke just hit Luke and he recorded them uh, because it was obvious he was catching on to this theme of Jesus' teaching. So in Luke 18, there's a familiar uh, story uh, where Jesus says in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city and she kept coming to him saying, give me, my legal protection, give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterwards he, that is the judge, said to himself, well, even though I don't fear God or respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. So this is obviously not describing what God is like, right? This is obviously describing a total contrast to what God is like. But Jesus says, listen to what the unjust judge said, right? If an unjust judge would do that for the widow, surely God will do that. And so over and over again, when we're taught to ask it's in the context of the person we are asking. That is of penultimate importance. Because we ask for a lot of things in our lives, right? But when we ask God, it's different, right? It's different when we ask God. And we don't have to get caught up on, oh, it's God, I gotta say it perfectly. Or, it's God, I gotta know exactly what I should ask for. No, these these illustrations tell us exactly the opposite. The graciousness of God provides the arena for your asking. And it is a safe place, right? It is a safe place to come into your Father's presence, your Heavenly Father's presence, and ask. So Jesus is kind of clearing the waters here. He's saying, you know, okay, we've got all these examples from your life that we're asking did not end up uh, in, in a good way, right? You call technical support. And three hours later, you still didn't have an answer, right? We have those experiences, but this is not like that, Jesus is saying, right? This is not like that. You had a parent who was too busy. You had, uh, you had uh, a stranger who answered your vulnerability with something that you would never have asked for. But the Father is not like that. That's the teaching, right? That's what he wants us to get about asking all right. So clearly, um, Jesus wants to understand asking. That's the basis. That's why it's first in the list, I believe. Now, we're going to skip over to knock for a moment. Because asking and knocking are actually quite similar, and there's a bigger reason that we'll, we'll come to. Uh, there are stories about knocking that really are about asking. Asking. Uh, there's this great, again, another great verse, another great passage, uh, parable that Luke records in Luke 11:5 through eight. Uh, and I love this one. He says, suppose one of you has a friend who goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves for, brackets, another friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and i are in bed i cannot get up and give you anything right <laughs> you know that should be enough right no <laughs> because the the pounding continues And again, we have a contrast here. It says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. I mean, (laughs) shut up, right? The loaves are coming flying out the second story window. You know, hopefully one of them will hit the guy. So all of these illustrations, I hope you realize, these are humorous. There's sarcasm in, the, in Jesus' voice, As he, right? Miss Markey is here today. Is that, that's, that's kind of sarcastic, right? I don't know, she'll talk to me later. I should have used Grammarly. Um, and it's meant, to, it's meant to demonstrate the preposterousness of saying or thinking for a moment that God is like that. And yet, when our prayers are not answered, that is exactly how we feel, isn't it? I mean, when, because that's how we're trained to feel. Because we know other people are way less than perfect. And so we go to that default gut reaction when our prayers aren't answered. And we say, well, they don't care. They're too busy. Uh, I didn't ask right enough. I'm not good enough. I'm on hold. <laughs> You know, being transferred to another department. And so we wrestle with this asking. We wrestle with this knocking. It's interesting, I I wanted to point this out, that that little story about knocking on the neighbor's door for bread at midnight is actually in Luke, situated right between his telling of the Lord's Prayer and his telling of the verse that we're studying today. So Luke does not have a bold Sermon on the Mount. He has a little section of 30 verses that start off with the Beatitudes. And so clearly Luke is in his narrative, including the fact that Jesus gave a powerful sermon in which he contrasted the righteousness of the Pharisees with the higher righteousness of God and demonstrated that we don't have to have all the things we think we need to have, but he breaks off some of Jesus' teaching, or maybe it's just that Jesus, and I think this is really true, is that Jesus loved these themes, he talked about them over and over again, so it didn't matter if you happened to be at the Sermon on the Mount, you could catch it later uh, in Galilee, or you could catch it later in Capernaum, right? So Jesus was not just a, you know, he wasn't just gonna say it once, it was too important. And he only had three and a half years, so he probably taught things over and over again. But Luke saves it for this this later part where he, the disciples actually come to him and ask him, how should we pray? So he gives the model prayer. Then he gives this story about knocking at midnight, and then he goes into ask and it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock and it shall be opened to you. So it's very interesting that Luke kind of highlights um, this story together with that, and I thought it was valuable to to bring up that, that issue. I also thought about knocking. Now knocking is one step beyond asking. And, and I thought about what, how does that dynamic contribute to our understanding with this idea that, you know, Jesus uses these three words, ask, seek, knock, and they're all kind of helping each other give us the picture we need. And I thought about um, a couple of the times that as a pastor, I thought, you know, I just need to go out and, and get to know my neighbors. <laughs> You know, when you knock on somebody's door, they're going to think you're a Jehovah's Witness. It's just the way it is. If the Schwann's truck is not parked out at this corner, and you know, the Jehovah's Witness should figure this out. You know, they need to get lookalike Schwann's trucks because people would be glad to have them. Of course, they would just say, you know, I want the, uh, the baby back ribs and the, and the potatoes. okay. And then when they were like, oh, and I didn't ask for this pamphlet, what is this? You know, that wouldn't work. So, But I thought, you know, I'm going to go talk to my neighbor. I really just wanted to pray for people. And, you know, when you go up to somebody's door, and this is really the takeaway, it doesn't matter why I was doing it, but the takeaway is when you go up to somebody's door, you really, it requires preparation. (laughs) It's not just like asking, it's not like texting, right? When you text... If somebody freaks out, you can just do a bunch of emojis, and you know you're done with that. It's like, okay, I just was just, just kidding. But when you knock on somebody's door and they're upset, you're stuck, man. I mean, you you're not going to get out of that. And uh, I'm not again. I'm not, I'm saying this by contrast. This is not what God is like. But 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 the knocking aspect does imply getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. And when I thought when I think about the Old Testament you know, the, the, the high priest, when he went into the, when he knocked on the, on, the, um, uh, on the veil once a year, I mean, that was a huge thing. Now, somewhere between that extreme and just asking off the cup, just texting God, is this medium where we consider the will of God and have a holy reverence for that, and yet recognize our complete worth, unworthiness and our just flat-out need. Right? We're not supposed to like study our need and study God and make some huge Venn diagram about well, where do those intersect and, and how can I do God's will perfectly. No, he just wants us to come and ask. And yet, he throws in knocking, which really is a whole different ballgame. And knocking actually is, I think, supposed to remind us that we are coming to God I mean we are coming to God I mean he's already come to us right Calvary he already came to us we're not going to find him he already found us remember Eden so I mean none of that really applies but we are we are coming into the presence of God in a way when we knock and when you knock you're thinking when you knock you're thinking about what's the next thing I'm going to say and so I think this, you know, these, these, this pair, asking and knocking together, kind of help each other. Asking may seem a little too open to frivolity. Knocking puts a little bit more of a sober, soberness to that moment, right? Is that okay to say, you know, I, 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 this is something I should think about. I mean, the God of the universe invites me to just come to him and ask. Is that something I should, is it just like... Press one for this, press two for that, or is it, is it more involved? And I think it's more involved. The other thing about knocking, and it's specific to that story, is that the, the neighbor knocked in order to get something for someone else. And I think intercessory prayer is particularly powerful. And if you feel like your, li- your prayer life is really stalled out, you know, you don't know what to pray about, pray for someone else, because that's what that parable is about is knocking repeatedly because somebody bothered you at midnight (laughs) and now you're going to bother someone else. But it's okay because that someone else has what you need. And apply that to God, right? There's needs around me. I, I don't know what to do. Pray to the one who has what they need and then be that intermediary. That will electrify your prayer life and your spiritual life and you'll just feel uh, like a dumb delivery person, that's great, that's exactly how we should feel, right? It didn't come from us, wasn't supposed to come from us, but God asked us to be involved. So that's, that should be easy, right? <laughs> that should be easy to do. All right, so so much about knocking. So that leaves seek. And here's where I think this gets really powerful. Um, seek is in the middle. And it occurred to me as I was looking at the dynamics of this. Now, I didn't get this from anybody, so blame me if it's completely wrong. Uh, but when I went into this, I kind of said to myself, you know, I'm not going to look anywhere else. I'm just gonna, I just to. want really want to know what this is because I was immediately struck by this, this trio of words. For one thing, it's a little odd because if you look at Proverbs and all the other Old Testament Hebrew teachings, they're always couplets. It's this and then that. It's this and then that. It's two ways to say one thing. So why is there three? And I thought, well, three, there's a middle now, in Hebrew thinking in the middle, that's the most important one. It's called the chiasm, it's like the, the peak of the pyramid, right? So the thing on top is the most important. It's the, it's the pinnacle of what you're, what you're aiming for. So even in something little like this, I'm thinking to myself, okay, why that order? Why three? And it makes sense, and I'll tell you why. To me anyway, it makes sense. So if this doesn't make sense to you, are like, okay, glad it made sense to him. Um, seek, Do we have that diagram, Caleb, seek is actually the fount from which asking and knocking uh, come. Seeking, you have to seek first. Oh, I think Jesus just said that, didn't he? Not five minutes ago in the Sermon on the Mount? Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. So here he comes back and he adds these two sidecars to seek. And he said, okay, let's seeking drive your asking. Let's seeking drive your knocking. What we want, what we want is going to determine what we pray for, right? What we want is going to determine what we go out and do. And if it didn't strike you before, let me point out that asking is a verbal. Knocking is an action. So let your Thoughts. Do we have that second diagram, Caleb? Let your thoughts drive what you say and what you do. And really, it comes back to, I think Greg did it so wonderfully just a couple weeks ago. He said it's the heart, right? It comes back to the heart. It's the heart that is the wellspring of all these other things. That's why Jesus says, seek and all these other things will be given. Seeking is the most important thing seeking when done right I think leads to a right prayer life and a right action a a right life of actions now when I say right right away you're like oh there he goes again I don't really want to go there I don't want to be held accountable to something and guess what You don't have to be. You don't have to be held accountable to anything because the thing we fear about of somebody saying we need to be held accountable is arbitrariness. That I'm gonna stand up here and because of something in my life, I'm gonna say this is what you should do and it's really because it's what I should do and you're all gonna know that and it's just gonna be ultimate hypocrisy, right? So I'm not gonna tell you what to do. Jesus actually, if you didn't notice, spent three chapters telling us what to do but now he's giving us the secret And he's saying the secret is what you're seeking. Now here's the problem. I've been condemned all week by this verse. And I'm thinking, how can I get up and preach this? Because as much as I wanted to, I could not seek something I didn't really want. And I couldn't want what God wanted. So, I have two options. I can give you a watered down version based on what I want, in which case my life will fall in harmony with this sermon or I can tell you what Jesus wants and I can be condemned, which is I think what I should be. We need a heart change, period. We don't need different words or different actions. We need a heart change. Because out of what we seek flows what we will say and what we will do. It's as simple as that. So it's an inside job. And the last time I checked, I can't change what's on the inside of me. And I certainly can't change what's on the inside of you. So we're not gonna go there. That's impossible. And yet we just got done almost. I'm not gonna try to finish it. So a couple other great sermons coming up, people. Stay tuned. (laughs) But we're wrapping up the Sermon on the Mount, and we just got told a whole boatload of stuff to do, right? I mean, you couldn't have missed that. And yet, Jesus is wrapping it all up here and saying, if I said anything about saying stuff, if I said anything about doing stuff, right now I'm trying to be crystal clear, seek. That's where it starts. Seek is where it starts. Now, I wish I could say something more profound about that. Uh, But in a minute, I'm going to show you just a little switch up that I hope will be as life-changing as it was when I realized it this morning, after Mark had done the slides I asked for and after I would change one arrow. Um, the passage ends with a sudden shift, it seems, because we're, this is all about attitude and motivation, and then it seems to go toward, and it's about intimate asking and seeking, and it seems like it's us and God, us and God, us and God, us and God, right? It's all about that relationship with God. And then we come right back at the end of this passage to those black and white images at the beginning. It's how does that relationship affect all the others? Because we can get so caught up in that us and God, us and God, us and God, it's not right, it's not right, it's not right, that we just totally miss the devastation around us. We totally miss the fact that anything I say, anything I do has the, it has the potential of having a catastrophic or a, 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 a salvific effect on somebody else's life. I mean, that gets really heavy, right? You're know, like, I'm not, I'm not only do I have to do it right myself, I, I gotta do it right for the sake of everyone else on this planet. Forget about it. And yet that's where Jesus goes. So I wanna go there. Uh... It's uh, Matthew 7:12. After he says all about this about asking and you can trust the person you're asking for and the Father will give you this, he then says, in everything, therefore, I mean, this is the conclusion of the matter. In everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. For this is the law and the prophets. <sighs> is that just like... Jesus changing the subject because he was just getting way too, that's what I feel like I just did, like we were getting way too intense and it was like this aha moment and then it's like, well, we gotta say something else to wrap this up so, you know, just treat everybody nice, goodbye. Um, It kind of feels that way, right? But somehow they're related and I think they're related because he's saying, this is how I treat you. Jesus seeks us. Jesus asks the Father for us. Jesus knocks, right? In a familiar passage. On our hearts where the seeking happens. And behind all of this, in spite of the fact that it seems to be a list, and we know how much we don't like lists, there is a revelation of who God is which is the premise upon which the list flows, right? And Jesus is a master teacher. We thought he was giving us a to-do list. He's giving us a revelation of God. In fact, they're always one and the same. And this is the the aha moment for me. The aha moment is, can we go to the last uh, slide there, Caleb? Uh, There's one after that one, I think. Less, okay, yeah, that's good. Isn't there one before that? Yeah, there we go. Does this one build? Hopes, yeah, there we go. Hopes, prayers, works, yeah. And see, I would change that arrow going from hopes to works. That was my aha moment this morning because otherwise I have to get my hopes right for my works to work out right. But I miss the power to do it. And I think ask, seek, knock with seek in the middle really is telling us to seek, ask, knock. That are the key to the Christian life is setting our minds on what God hopes for. The Bible says that for the hope set before him, he endured the cross. I mean, it goes right to his most important act, right? He did a lot of other things, too, out of the hope that was before him, but he did that. And out of the hope, if we can say, you know what? I am condemned under this list of things I should be doing. But I can hope with God. I have a hope partner. We talk about prayer partners, but we have a hope partner in God. God hopes, and for the hope set before him, he paid the price for us to be different. He hopes that I'll be different. Now that's all in the beautiful, loving context of his eternal, unconditional love, but he still hopes this for me. And if I can start to hope for what God hopes for, then I will start to pray to get that from God because I'm not gonna get it anywhere else. I know that, I know that. I so wanted to have a revolution of my character by the time we got today to today because then I could feel better about preaching this message. But no revolution came. I'm still the wicked person I was at the beginning of the week. But now I know where to go. If I hope for what God hopes for, even though it looks nothing like who I am now, and I go to him and I ask for that, guess what's going to follow? Because he gives good gifts. Now, I know it feels like I just did a play on words so I could talk about works in a very non-worky way. But the reason to care about works is not so we can be saved. And Jesus finished in the right place. He said the reason to care about works is so that we can serve others because the Father served us. And now we can be the echo of that to his honor and glory. So, don't hear a message about works here for your sake or for your salvation. You're saved. All right? We need works. We need to fulfill the hopes and dreams of Jesus because of what he did for us. And so, that's how prayer and the golden rule somehow made it all into this one teaching. It's all about relationships, and it's all based on a relationship. And it's a relationship that started with him and ends with him. So it it couldn't be any easier, right? And yet sometimes it just seems so complicated. So let's pray. Father in heaven, this is about asking and knocking and seeking. And so I don't know if we, any of us feel any closer to you at this moment or if the multitude of my words has made you seem farther away. Uh, but Lord, you've told us uh, pretty clearly in this passage that if we seek, if we want to want what you want for us, Then we'll know what to ask for. And that somehow the wanting, the seeking, and the asking will produce in us good fruits, which I think is what you're about to say next. Lord, I I ask that our relationship with you would be very simple in its complexity, that our lives and our journey would be enriched by this teaching and most of all just enriched by you, Jesus. We're asking, we're knocking. Teach us, Lord, to seek. We pray in your name, amen.